Louise McSharry on 2FM. But first, the World Health Organization warned that the pandemic would impact the lives and incomes of women more than men. And one year on, that is exactly what has happened. In the US alone, the ratio of women working has fallen to its lowest point since 1988. Annabelle Williams is a financial journalist and the author of Why Women Are Poorer Than Men and What We Can Do About It. And she points out that structural sexism, assumptions about women's worth and government policies have all created a system that keeps women poorer in every country in the world. She joins us now to discuss. Hello, Annabelle. Hello, Louise. It's not a sunny picture. Um, I think we might as well just acknowledge that uh, from the outset. Um, And COVID certainly hasn't helped us in terms of financial equality, has it, Annabelle? No. I mean, if anything, what COVID has really done is shone a spotlight on problems that were already there. So most people think that the gender battle is over women and men are equal, it's been loudly hashed out, but at the same time, there's hidden inequality that persists in money and wealth. You know, we know that um, in Ireland, the average woman retires with pension savings around 50% lower than the average man. Um, We also know that um, women are 70% of public healthcare workers, but they're four times more likely to be on insecure um, zero hours contracts. And, and all of this is rooted in history. It's really about historical ideas about what women are worth and what they should be doing with their time. And of course, the caretaking tasks come into it um, and, and within that historical kind of structure of womanhood, I suppose. You know, even though we like to think that we've moved on, women are still the caretakers at home, aren't they? And they are the ones who are more likely to take the time off work or to take a pause from work entirely. Yes, that's right. So we know that um, what women have got today is that we've all been told we can go out into the workforce, we can train and um, study as anything that we want to do, but nobody has taken away that second burden, which is looking after the home. So women now have a double burden. We still do 60% more unpaid work than the average man. Um, And you know, when I say that this is a structural problem and not something for individuals to resolve, look at it this way. The government, um, or governments all over the world, basically spend money on essential infrastructure to keep their economies going. That's roads and bridges, healthcare or transport. But then childcare costs fall solely on the individual. That doesn't really make sense because, like... Comprehensive childcare is as important to a um, a flourishing economy as um, roads and so forth. And, you know, it's the same for women in business. If you um, are a woman and you own a small business, you could expense the travel to a business meeting um, as a tax expense. Mm. But you couldn't do that with um, the babysitter who looks after the babies. These are all ways you can see that um, the law was set up, you know, by men for men. Yeah, I've often thought that actually about childcare um, and why I can't get tax relief on it because I pay so much and it's the only way that I can work. And, um, you know, it is repeatedly a problem. Like in Ireland, we definitely have the situation very frequently where women have to exit the workforce entirely because they can't, it doesn't make financial sense for them to continue working because childcare is so prohibitively expensive. Yeah, and like these days people talk about um, choice that um, women make choices and that's why they have less money than men. But choices aren't made in a vacuum. You make choices in response to the prevailing circumstances. So 
when we talk about the pay gap, what often isn't talked about is underemployment. Women who want to work more hours um, and want to be in a more senior position than they are, but they can't because they've got this burden at home. Um, you know, somebody's got to pay for the childcare, somebody's got to look after the kids. Um, can I ask, because obviously your book is about the history as well as the present day. And, you know, we like lots of people like to say that, you know, we have equality now. Of course we do. We have legislation that ensures it. But there are legacies from history which we still carry with us, don't we? Like, for example, exemptions on income tax that were for infants, married women and lunatics slash imbeciles. What a group to be in. Um, and, and these laws, of course, have influenced, you know, the current laws, haven't they? Yeah, so I dug into history to find out um, what it was like for women in quite the recent past. And the reason this came up for me is because my mother's Irish. Irish women couldn't own a home independently until 1976. So my mum was well into her 20s before that law changed. That's less than 50 years ago. Exactly. And like she and all of her sisters grew up believing that home ownership was only something you did with a man. There was just no concept that you would um, look after yourself. So, you know, we think this stuff's ancient history, right? But until 1950 in England, the definition of somebody too incapacitated to deal with income tax was any infant, married woman, lunatic, idiot or insane person. And lumping us in amongst fools was just completely normal. It's hard to get your head around, to be honest. Um, it's so recent. Um, but of course, we know like we know that about women and, um, you know, even the way that our own mental health was treated historically. Um, but I thought it was interesting. Is, throughout the book, you kind of paint quite a stark picture of the feminization of poverty in general. Um, and, you know, we've mentioned some of that stuff so far, but there's all kinds of things like women being uh, less likely to have kind of financial investments, you know, tampon tax. Um, you know, we are worse off in so many ways, aren't we? Yeah, we really are. So, I mean, historically, women couldn't have property because they were property, first belonging to their fathers and to their husbands. And, you know, again, that sounds medieval, but um, so laws treating wives as male property were abolished in England in 1857. But incredibly, they remained on the statute books in Ireland until 1981. And they were used too. So um, in 1972, a man called Mr. Braun took his wife's lover to court for debauching his possession, meaning his wife. And the judge told the jury that a wife in Ireland is regarded as property just as a thoroughbred cow or mare. I mean, it was just outrageous. Mr. Bourne, he was given £12,000 compensation, enough to buy a substantial family home at the time. And... uh... You know, we know that things were bad. We know that things are bad. But what can we do to try and make things better? Yeah, so um, it's a combination of basically, you know, finance finance has always been a feminist issue. And I think that that a lot of kind of feminist campaigning really needs to move towards that, towards feminised poverty. Um, At the same time, there are things that we can do in our own lives to... um, make ourselves just a lot more aware of money and Mm. to really understand that it's not something for boffins. I don't have a background, I don't have a degree or anything in finance, but I've managed to master this area. So I think for women, especially, really looking at money as a type of self-care. So 
putting some money aside for the future shows you care about your future self as much as yourself today. It is one of those things, though, isn't it? And I have to say, I have been guilty of this until recently, and I still am kind of guilty of it. You know, it's it's kind of like we're socialized into thinking that money is almost an unpleasant topic of conversation, and we're not really taught that well about it in school. And so you can kind of fall into an ignorance, um, a comfortable ignorance. <laughs> um, and, and where would you suggest if someone's listening and they're like, I actually don't really know about my money. My money goes into my bank and that's about the length of it. How can someone begin to educate themselves? Sure. So what we know from research is that couples, they tend to fall into a kind of a pattern of um, the man basically taking control of the money. So women tend to focus more on the household finances and day-to-day needs, while it's usually the man um, who looks after mortgages and their pensions and knows about that kind of stuff. Um, I think what's really interesting is that, um, so statisticians look at household wealth, but when you're in a household, we know that wealth isn't shared equally. So often women have only access to like a small proportion of the wealth. And when I say wealth, it means that when a person has an income, like the guy, he might have a lot more saved into a pension, for example, and that kind of counts as as his wealth. Mm. So really the starting point is that we really need to like just be a little bit more interested in this stuff. Mm. I know it's boring, you know, pensions or whatever, they're just not exciting, but um, we need to be a little bit more interested. And I also think to get over the stigma of not talking about money, we need to start talking more openly with friends. Yeah. Like we all find it difficult to discuss our salary or to say kind of how much our house is worth now or something yeah. like that. But just opening that up and, you know, in America, their streets ahead. So um, when Obama was in charge, he changed the law to make it okay for federal employees to discuss their salary with one another. Mm. Um, And that's just a really great way of increasing transparency over pay. Yeah. And especially, I think, for women, because we do have often have situations where we are either not being paid the same as our male counterparts or we're not asking for as much as our male counterparts. And the only way we know to ask is if we know there's a possibility. And the only way you know there's a possibility is if you know how much other people are being paid. Yeah, and like that's why in the book I've really refuted this idea that the pay gap is just down to negotiation skills. So studies show that women do negotiate their salary just as often as men do, but are less likely to be given a pay rise. Mm. And we also know that um, identical CVs, if you give one a man's name and one a woman's name, the man's one will be judged as deserving a higher salary. Like the pay gap starts as soon as people leave university. Boys mm. and girls with exactly the same degrees mm. um, are given different salaries. Mm. And like when we say that oh, all men negotiate their pay, like where are they supposed to have learnt this negotiation skills? There isn't something intrinsically masculine that makes men kind of better able or better suited to negotiate like, you know, with yeah. tact and guile. It's just not true, basically. And I mean, look at there are so many jobs where you can't negotiate their pay. Like, you know, look at what happens to nurses, for example, mm. when they try to negotiate their salaries. They're just not listened to. Yeah. So um, I think that it's a lot bigger than just saying, you know, ladies, negotiate your salary. Although, by all means, if you can do that in your role, negotiation is an excellent skill to learn. Yeah. How important do you think it is that there are more women in politics um, and indeed in senior roles in finance for things to become more equal? Um, So absolutely massive. Um, 
kind of what we have at the moment is a bit of a tokenism where women have been appointed to senior roles, which is fantastic. But what um, kind of behavioural scientists know is that you need a certain number of women in a room before they're even listened to. So, I mean, all women in the workplace know that what often happens is your ideas are discounted or disregarded or talked over. We're often talked over. Mm. Um, you need like a critical mass of at least three women in a room before your views are not seen as the women's views. They're just seen as a view. We also know there's a difference with male and female mentors. So female mentors don't do as much to actively advocate for mm. um, men in the workplace. Mm. Um, so if you're a guy and you have a male mentor in your business, he'll probably be a lot more instrumental in getting you a top job or a promotion. But again, that speaks to the structure of the business, because if in a lot of industries, you know, the people at the top are predominantly male, then men are more able to talk up other men and yeah. promote the ones that are like themselves. So, yeah. you know, hopefully if we had more women in senior positions, that would also happen for women. Well, I'm sure people will want to know more. And of course, a good place to start is Annabelle's book, Annabelle Williams. She's the author of Why Women Are Poorer Than Men and What We Can Do About It. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Louise McSharry on 2FM.